Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. When you think about all the mom and pop cafes and restaurants, you think about how they support their families and their best opportunity. And you think about people who get their first jobs there as baristas. This is what creates the fabric of a community. And we believe that businesses can and should create more opportunity for people. It's something that we don't often think about. There isn't a lot of education around it. So we're out to find the other companies that are on the same journey so that we can build constructs and frameworks to share with each other and share with others so that we can become more human and more connected in the way we work. And I think we all feel the need for that these days. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that position comes from Melanie Dolbeko. CEO of Tarani, who inspires us to see opportunities everywhere. And throughout today's episode, Dolbeko touches on her North Star for decision-making, how she navigated the waves of the pandemic, and what ultimately creates the fabric of communities. So without further interruption, may I introduce to you episode 182 with the real Melanie Dolbeko. Enjoy. It really helps us understand what you like about the show, how we can improve, and what guests we should have on. But with that being said, folks, let's get this show on the road. Here we go. Five, four... Three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Melanie Dolbeko, the CEO of Tarani. Melanie, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Kevin. I'm really happy to be here for the conversation with you. I'm happy you're here, and I'm happy you survived a crazy year. Now, we were just talking before the show. Yes, and you wanted to hold back this question until we went live. I couldn't wait. I absolutely couldn't (laughs) wait. So you're telling me you have 250 employees. You're moving into Mm -hmm. a 425 square foot or something like some large facility, moving all your operations over. And the date to do that is in March 2020. Tell our audience what happened and what was going through your mind during that experience. Right. So we all know how crazy this past year has been including the pandemic. What made it even more challenging for us is that we had planned to move our entire facility, which includes all of our team, all of our manufacturing operations, distribution, office, everything. And it had been a three-year project. And the first team was going to begin moving over the middle of March, which is precisely when the stay-at-home order came through. So in moments like that, Those are moments that we should be talking about among real leaders. Those are the moments that determine who you are. And if you are going to 
make decisions based on your purpose and your core values, how you go about that. And if you are going to pursue this opportunity to become more of who you want to be rather than a diminished version. So in that moment, the first thing that we did, um, everyone was really worried. We wanted to do this safely, and we knew that our future was dependent upon that move. We couldn't operate out of all these different locations we'd already invested in. So imagine you're getting ready to move. You've just borrowed a lot of money from the bank. You've invested in the new facility. You've been training and working with the team and preparing for two years directly with the team. And the first thing we did was... Let's do a financial analysis to see what if the business, what if our business was to decline by 20%? We see cafes shutting down. Our customers are suffering at this moment. If we decline by 20%, could we make it to the end of this and keep everybody on board? In our 96-year history as a company, we've never had a layoff. And we didn't want that to be the a time that we would ever consider that. So we went through all the financial analysis and said, we could make this. We could do it. And then we did the exercise again at 50% to say, all right, how would we do it? It's impossible, but how could we do it? And once we figured that all out, we had our own seatbelts fastened, then we knew we were ready and we could take care of our customers. Mm. So, so that's how we went through. And it didn't take us the six weeks to move that we anticipated. It took us six months, but we made it. And we made it with all of our team members intact. We made it with our goal of having 100% retention of our team mm. in the move across the Bay of the San Francisco Bay area. And we made it with everyone safe. So it was fantastic. And then we could start turning our efforts very seriously to how to help our cafe community and independent operators, everybody come back up and into operation and into business. I love hearing that because that's not what we heard on the news. It was it was predominantly we're cutting you know costs, we're cutting yeah, uh, yeah. payroll, we're you know we're we're going to downsize, and and all of a sudden a ton of em- unemployment increases. So when it comes to decision making, yeah, what do you credit that decision making to to retain a hundred percent of your employees? We know of Tarani as being an opportunity company. Mm. Most people think of us as the way you might know us, which is the colorful bottles you see lined up in cafes, right? To make a vanilla latte or uh, an Italian soda, or maybe it's on somebody's kitchen counter and they're doing creative beverages at home. What we are behind the scenes is this 96 year old startup company that's always pushing the boundaries to create growth. So in the last 25, 30 years, we've had about 20% a year on average growth, high double digit. And we attribute that to being really focused on opportunity creation, the development of our people, our team, their learning, their growth opportunities, development of our customer and, and our customer community and their growth. We think of it as a circle of success. So it meant that when we faced these tough moments, we looked first at this purpose of being an opportunity company and at our core values and said, you know, if we emerge more strongly around these, then then we've made it and then we keep going. Right. But the purpose isn't just to save the bottom line. The purpose is to hold on to and help the whole ecosystem of people and our community of success through that kind of difficult time. 
So, and I think I had mentioned before, I think I said 425. I think that's the size of my apartment. I think yours is like 425,000 oh, so square feet. Our new like space that. is um, 330,000 square 330, feet. And then we've also leased another 100,000 square feet next door. So we have, we have quite a lot of space. Now, when that happens, you have all this overhead, you have all this investment, you've been working for three years to launch this plan. Yes. Take us through kind of step by step after you ran the numbers, how you got people back to work to feed the demand that um, that you had to decrease, obviously, but to still make sure that your employees are engaged, uh, they're experiencing a sense of opportunity and that you'll be able to come to you know, where we are now and and be a productive well yeah i think i think the most important thing was when when the pandemic hits everyone knows the context of the difficult time right everyone knows that there are big question marks and they're wondering if they'll have that job at the end of it right and we see layoffs all over the place around us so it was important for us right away to communicate with our team we've just done this analysis Here's what we're looking at. Our objective is to keep everyone together and employed and fasten our seatbelts, as I said before, and then help our customers. And here's how we can do that together. And then that's all it took, Kevin, because then everybody steps up. It was amazing. I mean, our team absolutely came through at every part of the organization. People were incredible displaying leadership in every possible place to make sure that we could make it together. So people pulled together like a family. We like to call it a functional family rather than a dysfunctional family, but we have that feeling of family and togetherness here. And it means that everyone works together when the path is clear. I think what's also unique about you all is that you focus when you say a family together, it's not mm-hmm. just the employees, it's the surrounding communities. It's like what you said, mm-hmm. the cafe mm-hmm. owners, mm-hmm. when you're told, especially in the state of California, where we both live, yeah, they shut down pretty hard on these small business owners. And it's still a day-to-day struggle with these business yeah. owners. What was yeah. your relationship and message to them for how to get them back up and going so they can purchase your, you know, your products? Yeah. We were really, really worried about our cafe operators. So the first thing is to make sure we have continued supply. And then it's to look at all the different needs, our customer community and the people who we love, all the different needs they had and what we could do to help them. So we created actually um, the Tarani Cafe Opportunity Fund. It was something that our team felt really excited about. They said, if we're not going to be traveling and going to trade shows, let's take all that budget mm. and put it towards helping cafes reopen. So we created a pretty significant fund. We started to look for different organizations that already worked with communities of cafes and baristas. And we found after contacting quite a number, like many, many different organizations found out there wasn't something for baristas and cafes the way there was for bartenders or food service workers. So we decided to create our own. And then we found smaller networks of baristas and cafe support communities and started to find people that way and through our sales team so that we could give grants to help cafes get back on their feet. And then we provided product. We provided also different education opportunities to learn about how to do touchless um, 
touchless and safe ways of transactions, right? Mm. So try to help cafes share best practices as well and join them together in communities and connect them with organizations that were providing technology and other service, uh, services to help them reopen. So it's about joining together in, in a community of mutual support and success. I love it. Now, in this stage right now, when you say getting back on our feet, where mm-hmm. are we currently in terms of uh, small business owners and your cafe owners and getting back to the, the flow of business? Right. It's mixed. And I'll say it's mixed around the world. There are many cafes that are doing very well. Those who were set up for more drive through or um, less sit down service are thriving much better. The other ones are really hopeful that with the declining infection rates, they can reopen and have people back inside their locations. So um, I think some are hanging by their fingernails and some are doing well and we've got to support everyone. So Melanie, I know this is obviously a first for everybody. It's not like someone has a, a handbook guide to say, hey, when the pandemic happens around the world, this is what you do. But yeah. You've also experienced, you know, some other hurdles that you've had to overcome uh, mm-hmm. in the business. And one of those is what you mentioned and we just spoke about a little bit earlier. And that was <laughs> when you outgrow the people within your organization. Could you explain to our audience what happened in that situation and what you had to think internalize and internalize to overcome these obstacles? Sure. One of the things that happens in a high growth environment over sustained years. So, you know, when you start off as a small company with fewer than 10 people, then you become a larger company with 50 people then 100 and so forth. Every time you double in size, things change. And we found that there are certain growth hurdles where the way we're organized and the way we work has to change. So, um, and I've been through a few of those. I actually am going to celebrate my 30th anniversary with Tarani next week. So kind of crazy because I think of myself as being very entrepreneurial, much as many of our team members do. Impressive. And we are. It's just that we do it here. So the challenge is that when you get to a certain size, sometimes you can. This is a challenge we face where we look at our team and say, it, when we're when we're at a current state and we're looking forward, maybe five to seven years, and say, "All right, in this vision of our future, what kind of leadership is that going to take? And are we ready for that?" And there was a moment in time where we had an offsite that was facilitated by some great facilitators who had us work through that exercise, and we realized, and I realized, that we weren't ready. And I took a look at my team and I realized there was just one person I was sure would make it. And she was the first person to tell me she wasn't going to make it. Mm. That instead she, um, she was going to step down and, um, and raise her baby daughter. And luckily she ended up staying with us and taking part-time work and is now our amazing head of R and D, which is phenomenal. But at those moments when I looked around and thought, wow, we have just outgrown our team, including myself. And I thought the whole way of looking at our growth needs to start with me looking at my own. 
that I needed to look at what kind of leader I needed to be and how I needed to to operate differently. So I have strived to do that ever since. It's it's a function of joining peer learning groups, getting coaching and development, um, going on learning journeys, talking with other people in other organizations who've been there, done that. Maybe they're twice the size that you are, and you can learn from them how they navigated to that size. So again, it's how we build a community of support of like-minded people who are looking at how to stretch and grow themselves. And what we found is that in that moment of challenge that we had back in the day, and we did make it through this terrible challenge, this growth hurdle, and we made it through and we did lose a few team members. Um, most of them chose to leave on their own to pursue other opportunities, but we didn't want to go through that again. So we decided to build a whole ecosystem around people development. And that's how we became truly the opportunity company that we're still on the path of becoming. And that ecosystem includes processes like contribution management, right. which tosses out this concept of performance management, which we think is a big waste of time, and looks at a combination of what people are contributing to the strategies and growth and development of the company and what they want to learn, what they individually care about. So I can talk more about that because that's a super interesting thing that is part of what makes us tick and is part of what drives people development. Another thing we look at is career mixology, how to create internal opportunity for people to learn and grow and develop in the way they want to. And then learning journeys is something that we do often to craft our own learning as an individual or as a team to figure out something new. Like maybe it's an innovation breakthrough. Maybe it's Justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, which is a learning journey some of us went on last year. So there are different processes that we've created to keep ourselves growing and thriving and being the opportunity company that we want to be in the creation of career, learning, development, economic, every kind of growth opportunity for people. Unique, very unique. And and you said uh, with you know COVID, you kind of relied on those principles of we wanted to retain 100% of our employees. So we looked at numbers, we kind of went back to that decision making. Now, yeah, what is there something in the founding of the company, the core of the company that you were able to go back to during this time and say, you know, we're mixologists, right? Like we, we, we want, we want to mix it up. We want to provide these opportunities, but what about the founding members uh, or, yeah. or the core of the company that were you able to go back to, to make sure that you were making the right decisions? Sure. We developed our core values from looking deeply at our history. Mm. So uh, within a year of my joining the, uh, you know, there were only a few of us, and I got together, I was the first non-family member hired to lead the company. And I got together with the, um, the son-in-law of the founders who'd been running the company for years, Harry, who was just the most wonderful man. His daughter, Lisa Lucetta, who is the chairman of our board and who I love like a sister and who we get to see every day. Um, the three of us went off site and looked at the history of the company, what the what uh, what decisions had been made and why, what each of us cared about. And we came up with our core values. And I can tell you that um, Azilda Tori, who was one of the co-founders, Azilda and Ronaldo, they were from San Francisco. They went back to Luca, Italy. 
and they brought to visit family and they brought recipes back to Tarani, to North Beach, or to make Tarani. And um, they went through some really challenging times, especially during the Great Depression. And we look to that time, and one of our core values is care deeply for people. And we see that throughout our history. And we saw that with Isilda and how that came to life. In the 1930s, during the Great Depression, her husband died suddenly of a massive heart attack. And she was a, a mother of their two children. She'd lost her husband, her business partner, her life partner. And she didn't know what to do. And she turned to her family and said, I don't know what to do. How am I going to take care of my children? There were no social safety net programs yet during the Great Depression. That didn't come till later. And she didn't know how she was going to earn a living. She turned to her family and they said, you can do this. You're a strong person and we'll help you. And that is one of the things that we think about. We say when we hit hard times, it's how we come together. She made it and she made it with the support of her family. And that's when we think about how in hard times, that's when we come together. We make it as a family. We make it as a community. And the, the idea of a living wage for people and shared success for people is really important to us because we know that if we have strong team members throughout the company, including frontline team members, they make a big difference in their communities. They can change the trajectory of their families and their communities by being strong. So being tight knit like that is really important to us. Is that your philosophy on like the purpose of a business? It's like, it just reminds me of let's like, I heard an example about like an ice skater the other day. It was an all time ice skater. And and that was her, her purpose was cutting lines. And then yeah. she transformed that into art and the fabrics. And it's, you know, it's similar to Tarani. It goes from distilled liquor to, you know, syrups for cafes. It's going right. to be the first flavored latte, but still remaining those values and that purpose of family, of opportunities, of retention. What's your take and your philosophy on like the purpose of business? We definitely make flavor and we're passionate about it. We do it because we know that it provides opportunity. We are all about building opportunity and creating stepping stones of opportunity for people. Opportunity for learning, growth, development. And that includes our own team members who we're passionate about. It also includes our customers. When you think about all the mom and pop cafes and restaurants, you think about how they support their families and their best opportunity. And you think about people who get their first jobs there as baristas. This is what creates the fabric of a community. And we believe that businesses can and should create more opportunity for people. It's something that we don't often think about. There isn't a lot of education around it. So we're out to find the other companies that are on the same journey so that we can build constructs and frameworks to share with each other and share with others so that we can become more human and more connected in the way we work. And I think we all feel the need for that these days. No, you know, it's funny you mentioned education because, you know, we'll do so many podcasts, but, you know, can you really teach leadership? Is this something that you have to experience for yourself? Like take, for example, you know, like 
you had to supply the demand. You you outgrew the number of people in your organization. This is something you never faced before. You can go to the peer groups. You can read the articles. Uh, for me, I'm in California. It's like surfing. You know, you start out on like the big board, Melanie. You ride. The t- Are you a surfer? I'm a surfer. I'm a surfer. It's just out yesterday. <laughs> Classic. So you're you're with like the two to three foot of waves, right? You got a big board when you start now with a foam board. Yeah. And you fall a hundred times, and you finally get buck up. You gotta lock that knee in. You're nice. You you start kind of going down. Now you're riding, you know, left or right, and then the demand comes. Bigger waves come. The south, you know, the winter swell starts to hit. It's yeah. five to six, seven, eight, nine, ten footers, and yeah. you want to get out there, and you can't ride those waves on the big board. You got to learn the short board, and it's very difficult. It's very tempting. So it comes to bringing others along with you. That's a scary wave to ride. How do you get leaders? in your community, in your niche, in your circles to go with you to make sure that you can kind of sustain that demand, that wave? Yeah. Um, well, you know, as a business is growing, you are riding different waves. Right. It's fun to use that analogy because our chief marketing activist, Ty, and I were just talking about yesterday how we're experiencing a growth surge right now and our team is primed to ride the big wave, right? We're primed for that and we're working hard at that. So the way that we do it and we think about bringing other people along is finding those communities, like in the B Corporation community that we belong to, finding the community of like-minded people and learning from each other, right? It's setting out those stepping stones for each other. It's sharing practices like contribution management. Learning journeys have been a huge discovery for us. And that's something that helped me a lot in that time where I realized I'd, the company had outgrown my current set of mm. leadership. And mm. it's not like I wasn't primed for this. I had gone to business school, right? I had done all these things to create the educational background to be prepared for my role. But that didn't mean I was ready to lead the company twice the size with the way we wanted to lead it. So everybody has their own flavor. Everyone has their own way of doing things. So it's not like taking it from a book and applying it exactly. Learning journeys are ways that we create a construct of learning. Like um, you might carve out six months. When I was looking at what kind of leader do I want to be when we're twice the size? I called up our banker. I called up all kinds of people and said, hey, I think you know the CEO of Cliff Bar. Hey, don't you know uh, Blair over at Traditional Medicinals? Do you know this person? Do you know that person? Could I have an introduction? Right? You can call and talk with people and say, how did you navigate this growth hurdle? What did you do about it? How do you think about purpose? What are some of the tough moments you faced? So then you take that concept and you can apply it to a team also so that you can learn together. And this is a way that we can help each other stretch and learn and grow using a process for learning, right? So that's one way. Another thing we think of that's been really breakthrough for us, especially at this current stage of growth with the number of people we have, is really thinking deeply about how to engage people in the design of their own work. So that is especially including frontline team members in manufacturing, right? Before we moved, we were going to shift from our current technology to state-of-the-art new technology in manufacturing. And we knew that it was going to be an entirely different skill set. So we started two years early, devoting 
75% of the time of our head of manufacturing and our head of quality, Greg and Sue, to work with the team to say, how do we do things now? Mm. How are we going to do things in the future? So that people could be prepared to understand the new equipment and then to bring in trainers and so forth. So it's to engage people in the design and then the redesign and then the improvement of their own work. And it's it's incredibly enlivening and um, and growthful. It's growthful. It's purposeful. And it seems to be connecting you know, all different stakeholders, right? Like the communities that you guys serve into where you're putting the plant. I'm sure you guys are doing something within that local community over there as well. Now, this approach, this full concerted approach of leadership, you know, is is unique. I feel like you as an impact CEO experience unique challenges that many others may not experience. Do you ever feel... I know you're CEO, but do you ever feel like lonely in these situations that maybe it is difficult to reach out to other CEOs who may not understand the same growth mentality that you have? I know that's a, a common thing people talk about. I would say that I probably used to feel lonely. Mm. I have not felt lonely in a really long time, partly because I, I feel like I'm part of a team. At Tarani, I don't operate by myself. I'm in a role that facilitates that facilitates the direct strategic direction of the company, facilitates the strategic development of our team, but I'm part of a team and I really feel it. So we have incredibly smart people all around. So I don't feel lonely here because they're incredible thought partners throughout the business. The other thing that really helps is belonging to a CEO peer learning group. And I've been participating in those kinds of groups for many years. And I found that to be a really important part of my development. Right now, I belong to a real leaders group that I'm really enjoying and I'm getting a lot of value from. And I belong to a mid-market company CEO group for 10 years before that. I, I think that's, well, thank you for the, the plug there too, Melanie. But, uh, you know, these these impact CEOs, they're they have really long-term thinking. You mentioned that a few times on this episode. Mm-hmm. How far out is long for you? Well, right now, it's this week, actually, we've been talking about our 2025 vision. 2025 is the year we will turn 100. We're really excited about that. And we have um, a really exciting future planned for 2025. We created that vision in 2017. We are usually thinking five to seven years out in our strategies. So every year we take a fresh look at our vision to say, is it still enough of a stretch? Are we ready to create another one even farther out? But usually about five to seven years out is right. And then every year we take a a look at our three-year strategies. We create a fresh set of three-year strategies and then annual strategies. And it's a big engagement process with our team so that by the time we hit the start of the new year, we are already running fast toward it. I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, when it comes to like the stakeholder approach as well, are you taking into consideration your environmental costs? Are you looking farther into climate change? Are you considering social injustice? How much do these external factors weigh into your decision making? All of those are really important to us. And one of the things that we were able to do is as we looked at 
our future, which included the move to this new flavor factory, was consider the design of it in a way that would be more friendly Hmm. to the environment and to the climate that would eliminate waste. For example, the way the, the manufacturing lines were designed were to reduce water waste, right? So that we could actually grow our business by 40% and still reduce our water usage by 20%. Wow. So it's looking at really good engineering and, um, and design in the first place. Then it's training up the team members. And what we've realized is that there is a correlation between sustainability when it comes to environmental sustainability, first time quality, if you do things right the first time around, then you have much less waste. And that's a really meaningful thing. And the training and upskilling of team members so that they can become better and better at understanding and working with those technologies. So it creates hmm. a symbiotic process. So we connect all those things. I think the thing that we find is that in the community that cares about regeneration, mm, right. that there is not as much talk about the regeneration of people. Hmm. And that's where we want to contribute more to the conversation. We want to, to push the boundaries of that conversation because we think that hasn't gone far enough. There is a lot of work to do around sustainability and regeneration, and we are on that path to be sure. And we want to push the boundaries even more to consider people, to oh, consider people. I love it. Now, Melanie, expand on that a little bit more. Regeneration. Like when I think regeneration, I think of like regenerating soils, you know, and adding sure. chemicals or pesticides to the soil. It's just natural soil that absorbs more, sequesters more carbon, produces higher yields, and it's all natural. It's a natural cycle. That's a nice little feedback loop. What do you mean by regeneration of people? Yeah, it's using that same kind of analogy. It's this idea of, of um, growthfulness, right? It's not extractive behavior of people. Okay. It's enriching and renewing behavior with people. It's pausing as a business and considering the impact of our work and our decisions on all the people who are part of our ecosystem, right? Mm. So internally, easiest examples is to think about somebody who's working on the front line in manufacturing or distribution. They're not there to just do that job. We are here to help them learn, grow, and develop. And then they'll get better and better at that too. We're here to help set out those stepping stones for their opportunity. And it ends up creating a virtuous cycle of success. So we think it's the best way to operate as a business and it's a way that develops people. And the larger we get and the more resources we're able to work with, we're finding the better we are at that. I love it. Now, when it comes to growth, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. I had this like psychologist on the other day and they're talking about growth and behaviors yeah. and positive reinforcement. Oh, and growth mindset. Growth mindset, you know, all that good yeah. stuff, right? Now, now, when it comes to like your employees, do you have specific like reinforcement factors you try to work on for them? Do you have a reward system? Do you have a pot like how you compliment people? Is it different? Like what are some things that you think makes your culture unique? Yeah, um, we call our employees team members. It's hard to think of employees. And we really do feel like one team, team members. Team members. 
So there are a number of things that we do. First of all, we are a huge collaboration culture and hugely appreciative. So everyone here has an important role to play and is a member of the family. And they feel it from, from the very start. I personally play a role in onboarding every single new team member. And uh, my role in onboarding is to make sure that we talk about our history, our vision and our future and our strategies, and also our culture and our core values. And it starts with a conversation over a beverage, of course. Right, of course. Always something fun to drink. And I, I start by asking them why it is that they joined, what it was that they saw either in their work with us. Maybe they started off as a temporary team member in manufacturing. We had a lot of people come try this out when they lost their jobs in other places during the pandemic. And we have a lot of amazing new team members who joined us because we grew actually last year, which was wonderful. So we were able to hire 40 new people. Wow. So what they talk about is that feeling of team and that feeling of family and that feeling of care that comes through. And what we realize is that as we then hear from them and then share what our core values are, this is not accidental that we have this kind of environment. It is by design that we talk about and we practice our core values and people feel it in all ways. The other thing I think is having shared success. So there's no success that's not shared. All of us, everybody in the company mm. has a, a bonus that's half based on their personal contribution and success. And the other half is based on company growth and profitability. And we share that information and literally everybody in the company shares in that kind of success when we, when we hit those targets, which is something that we do every year. And then we always share profits as well. So we share profits throughout the company. And I think it's unusual for a company to do that at every level, including all frontline team members, but it's something that feels really right to us and something that people really appreciate. It's uh, an environment that is considering the opportunities that all of these folks are creating and building for themselves and their families and our community. It, it's very impressive to hear. And from an outsider's perspective, like when they hear something like this, it may be just so foreign to them and difficult to understand. Do you think that a traditional organization, let's say non-stakeholder value mindset incorporated company listening to this could incorporate similar philosophies and do similar um, you know, things for their culture, for their work, for their stakeholders, for the communities that would result in profitability and growth? Do you think that this model could be replicated for every single company? I think anybody who takes on a stakeholder model is capable of taking this on. I actually, I think it's the smartest way to operate a business. Mm. That's the thing is it's not incongruous with being a super smart business person, right? Um, but I have to say it took about 10 to 15 years of strong double digit growth before I could start talking about love mm, okay. outside the company, right? Before you could start talking about being an opportunity company and a people company, because we have to show the track record and how it works, but we do have the track record. Mm. You can look at the growth. That's the lagging indicator of our success. The leading indicator is the growth and development of our team, our people. 
And that is also what makes us so happy to do our work. It's why we have so many people here who could be very successful in other places. They choose to be here. I choose to be here. We choose to be here together because of what we're trying to create. And we see it working. Now, what about the social entrepreneurs that are starting up? You think that there's a misconception or something that they miss, such as, hey, it's actually ha- it actually has to taste good. You know, it can't just be mission based. Oh. It's, you know, people aren't just going to buy the product just because it has a great <laughs> philosophy. What do you think social entrepreneurs miss that um, you could give them some advice on? Yeah, I think the hardest thing is, um, of course, it has to taste good. Everything has to taste good. People aren't going to buy it if it doesn't. It has to work. It has to taste good. It has to be great. It has to work and continually be improved so it's delivering more and more value to our customers. I think where people get caught up typically in business is that is so hard to do. That can take 100% of your time. Mm. And it means that you can delay other important work. Mm. And it's how you think about integrating all of that so that you don't forget or you, you figure out how to integrate your purpose. Mm-hmm. and how you work because it takes a lot to keep that going when you're competing in the marketplace and trying to hold tight to your customers when others are going after them as well. Mm-hmm. So during this re- this last recession, this last setback that mm-hmm. ended up being, you know, growth propeller for you, did you have to compromise some of your ethics or not maybe not ethics but social responsibility, environmental responsibility in order to Achieve growth? No. No. We talked, we talked about instead how would we emerge from this to become more of who we are, mm. to become more of who we want to be. And we had conversations about what are the things that we might do that would instead make us really proud at the end of this. How do we become more? How do we reflect our purpose and our values? So anytime there's a crisis, there's an opportunity for that. And it's how we guide people in that direction rather than in the hunker down, cut all the budgets, burn the furniture kind of mentality, right? It has to be this other kind of mentality to become more of who we want to be. So I think that, um, I think those kinds of things can be learned. You know, you're talking about education. Those kinds of approaches can be learned. Melanie, you, you said earlier in the show, there's a correlation kind of between that engagement, this opportunity, the social responsibility and your growth as well. How do you measure something like that? Or do you measure, do you believe in measuring you know, a, a correlation in that sense? Yes, we have company level key performance indicators that we measure. We look at lots of measures in our business. Of course, there are always financial measures, but we have some measures off to the side that we think measure our strategies and our purpose intent. So of course, having a a B Corp score that is improving is one of our KPIs. Mm, But then what we think about a lot is, aside from all the other kinds of measures that we know about, which is maybe about waste and some other things like that, we think about how do you measure people development? How do you actually measure that? So the measures that we've set out so far are things like um, positions filled internally, which we say we want to have our non-entry level positions 
filled by people who've been developed here in such a way that they're ready to take on those roles. How can we get better at that? So right now, we'd like to exceed 25% of the, the next level positions filled by people who are already here, who are ready and prepared to take on those kind of roles, not just appoint them, but they are actually ready for those roles. Right. So those are the kinds of things that are indicative of development. Um, we look at things like turnover, we look at engagement. So those kinds of things are really meaningful to us in terms of looking at how people are experiencing the organization. We also look at our customer relationships. That's extremely important to us. We can look at things like net promoter scores, but it's also really making sure we know them and we know what's important to them and we're designing the right future products and programs for them. Nelly, thanks for answering that. I was, I, I was really curious. I was like, oh, you know, it's got to be a little difficult to, to measure sometimes, but it seems like you guys have a nice pulse on that. Uh, you mentioned, and I, I didn't really know this, but you, you started out with the family and you've grown this. You took over from the family. That's what you said in this, this episode. Share, share with us a little bit about that and kind of how that journey progressed. I'm really interested to hear about kind of going from this startup phase to you know, like you said, you know, making the money. Yeah. Um, I love this family. And when I, when I first interviewed with the Lucetta family, um, I felt immediately their warmth. I talked with them what I was excited about and they were excited about that too. I think they were, they, uh, you know, we were really small and, we, we think of our history in terms of eras of growth. And when I joined, we were in our second era. So our first era was the taste of the homeland era. Instead of talking about business models, which just makes people's eyes roll back in their heads, you can talk about a time and what the business was like then, right? So the taste of the homeland era is what Ronaldo and Azilda created, where they had five original flavors that were flavors like tamarindo. Um, that were really popular with the Italian community in North Beach in San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that was our first era. And it was very simple. And it just took the two of them to make the product, sell it in the neighborhood, keep the books, get to know the neighborhood, right? Then the next era was the liqueur and cordial era. So after prohibition was repealed, they both got licensed and became rectifiers of distilled spirits in the United States, which is pretty cool. And in our new space, once once we're past this pandemic and we can open this up and you can come visit, you have to come see our speakeasy. We have a secret room here. We have a speakeasy. It's behind a bookshelf that turns. So the the bookshelf is the door. So that harkens to that era of our history. When I joined, we were at the tail end of that. Whenever we're in the current era, the next era is present. It's just that we can't always see it. So it's how we tease it out. And what we teased out right away and the family was ready to go for it, which I think is unusual. First of all, that they hired somebody from the outside is unusual. And that was an important thing. Our relationship over time has been super important. The other thing that makes them unusual is that they were willing to take the risks on moving into a whole new era or business model. And that was the cafe era for us. Hmm. We created the flavored latte but we hadn't popularized it yet. So 30 years ago, nobody would ever heard of a vanilla latte, right? right? So we focused on cafes and baristas. Our killer app was the vanilla latte. And we went to market with coffee roasters. 
we always go to market in partnership with others. So they were already in cafes two or three days out of the week, educating on coffee and bringing coffee. So this was an added sale so that we could all grow together. So it's about creating that circle of success. So it was great working with a family through that. And then it was a transition into our next era of growth. And we're in the consumer era right now where everything we do is designed around the consumer, including programs and flavors and other things we bring to cafes and also what we're bringing to people's home kitchens. The next era we're headed for is the opportunity era, our purpose era. Mm. So that's where we're headed now. That is our North Star is to be the opportunity company. The opportunity company. It's a new era. And the future, you know, is something we write every day. What is the future that you want for Tehran and you want for opportunity around the world? When we look at what it means to be the opportunity company for ourselves, and then for others, it's that we have created the framework that has just completely bust open opportunity internally and career frameworks, apprenticeships, all kinds of things, and has a symbiotic relationship with the external community. So it's redefining partnerships and how we work with our customer community. It's how we work with the local community and, and creating opportunity. So it's it's looking at all the ways we bring the growth, development, learning, and economic opportunity to people in all those places. And that by building those frameworks with like-minded businesses, we can share them with others so other companies can become opportunity companies. Collaborating, building together, working together is a great aspect of leadership. So Melanie Delbecco, the last question I have for you today on this podcast is what is your definition of a real leader? <laughs> Kevin, a real leader will pause when they think about their role in business. A real leader will think about the impact of their work and their decisions on people. On the development of people, sharing success with the whole ecosystem, economic opportunity, and growth and creating stepping stones of opportunity. A real leader will take moments during the pandemic or moments of success to think about how we apply our values and guide people in the direction of becoming more of who we want to be. Well said, Melanie. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. I had such a fun time. Learned a lot about you, a lot about the company. Talked a little about surfing today a little bit. Talked about some waves. I know. I'm surprised about the surfing. That's that's cool. We went everywhere and we're riding that wave into the questions after the show. So for Melanie Delbecco, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, pause, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks, Kevin. I love that. Pause. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Melanie Delbecco. We just hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Now, if you have any questions for Melanie, we have a few people on still. Ask your questions in the chat box there on the right, and I will go ahead and read those questions off for her to answer. But I really like that. I've never had someone say, pause. We're always go, oh. go, go sometimes. And I also feel, feel that no. with the interview, too. Sometimes you need to pause and collect your thoughts. Where'd you come up with that? 
uh, it's just the way I think about it. I just, that's just how I think. I think, I think it is always go, 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 go. And, um, it's, we have to disrupt from the way we think about things normally. And that requires a pause. Mm. Right. And I guess that's something we didn't really talk about, but I think about the pandemic being aside from being horrifying, it is a time that prompts us to disrupt the status quo and think about things differently. We have to think about business that way too. It's pausing to disrupt the way we think about it naturally, the way we've been trained to think about it. I love that. Yeah, being calm in the chaos. Uh, another great part of kind of what you all did. And it seems to, to really show, especially here in 2020. Okay. Olivia just chimed in. Olivia asked Melanie, she asked, going into a new opportunity era. And folks, if you want to hear the rest of Melanie's answers that our guests asked her on this show, you can hit the link in the description or just go online to realleaders.com slash podcast where you will find Melanie's interview and then you just scroll all the way to the end and you can hear one of many questions that she was able to answer for our fans. That's right, folks. It's free to watch these things. It's free to be backstage, be part of the interview. And if you can fit it in your time schedule, folks, I promise you will not regret it. And I'd love to see you there. Again, folks, go online to realleaders.com slash podcast. Number two. If you haven't yet left a review for this show, please help us out. Let me know what you think. And trust me, I read all of these reviews. It's very helpful and is the reason why we've had on certain guests on the show and why the audio has improved over time. So I really appreciate all the reviews that those of you have been leaving. So if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take some time and rate and review this show. All right, last thing, last opportunity. If you're in CEO listening to this and you want to be a part of our networking event, just go online to realtors.com slash meet and enter your name and email for the upcoming Meet the Real Leader session with Rob Chestnut, the Chief Ethics Officer at Airbnb. That's going to be streaming on March 24th. You won't want to miss it. You can join. You'll be a part of these breakout rooms with six to eight other CEOs and maybe even Rob. Again, folks, realleaders.com slash meet. Just enter your name and email and you will be sent the Zoom confirmation link to the second ever Meet the Realleaders networking event. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and always, folks. Keep it real.